get to be a citizen of these United States. I am, I look at these flags in front of me, above you, and I'm thankful for the price that is paid, that has been, and that continues to be paid. We have this idea that we just get to have what we have without any cost or without any deliberate, intentional position or effort, and that's not the case. You can't just think whatever you want to think and act however you want and have whatever result you want. Your decisions and your, and your actions have certain consequences. And there are people that made specific decisions to invest in our nation through our military. That has resulted in us having freedom, and I'm thankful for that. Like Brother Max said at the beginning of the service, and we're glad that your family's here too, Ladies, it's great to have you with us. Like Brother Max said at the beginning, I'm not ashamed to be an American. I'll stay there for a minute. I don't mind long, awkward pauses. I'm not ashamed to be an American. In fact, I'm thankful for it. I don't think that we're better or have more value to God than anybody else. Don't misunderstand me. I am thankful to be in this nation and the opportunities that it has afforded to so many different people. I'm thankful for the God who providentially and sovereignly intervened to bring about the forming of this nation. That doesn't mean that everything happened was pleasing to God. Are you with me? Y'all okay? But I still believe he had a hand in it. Because the God who rules over all has a hand in every kingdom that rises and falls. I'm thankful for all of those things. And today, this morning... The message is about the quantity of what we have been given being citizens of this nation. We have been given much by him. But then we'll make a transition and we'll talk about the quantity that we have been given through our Savior that far surpasses, surpasses, any blessing from being a citizen of this country. One of my favorite things in the world is ice cream. I think it should be put into our Constitution somewhere. I mean, everybody's all into changing the Constitution today, so throw in something about ice cream, hallelujah. When I say I like ice cream, I don't like it a little bit. No. I like it a lot. <laughs> you know, the Martin's yogurt place, and you go and you put it in, they don't, they don't make a big enough bucket. <laughs> like, okay, I see the small, medium, and large. I want the 10-gallon. Where's, where's that at? <laughs> I, need to, I need to know where that is. In my house, 
I am not an equal opportunity ice cream distributor. Does that hurt your feelings? Get over it. There's a lot of competition for the ice cream in our house. And there are eight children who want some of it. And this is what I say. None of y'all got a job. Well, now the oldest one does. So you can go buy your own ice cream. <laughs> You're using my fridge to keep it cold anyway, sis. <laughs> this is a joke. Y'all relax. I'm having way too much fun with this, though. I don't, I don't equally distribute the ice cream. And so there's a little bit of distinction between the size of the bowls of the kids. I'm getting a big bowl. Ask me if I feel bad. Nope. Here's the deal. You would understand, and I understand this as a dad. Have you ever given your kids a dessert or a treat and they wanted more? Has that ever happened? Have you ever done that? It never fails with our kids. You say, well, I want more of this. I want some more of this. And, and can I have another bowl or can I have a bigger bowl? I want more of this. See, my children... They are, not, they are not responsible for the amount that they are given. Someone else is in control of how much they get. Their mother and I, we have authority in their life. We have God-given authority, and we don't ask for their permission, our children's permission, how to raise them. We have insight and experience from God to have understanding and maturity how to raise them. And so we determine the amount of the ice cream that they get. They have, they have no control over the quantity that they are given. But they have a choice that they have to make. They can, they can spend the time watching the ice cream melt, being upset that they don't have a bigger bowl, wondering why their older brother or their older sister gets more, why they only got one scoop and their older brother or sister got two scoops, or why dad is eating out of the carton again. I mean, they can spend their time being frustrated about that. They can spend their time being frustrated about why they only have sprinkles and chocolate syrup and not strawberry syrup and gummy bears and gummy worms on their ice cream and Oreos like their friends at, that they stayed at their house with do. They can wonder about those things or they can do this. They can decide this. I'm going to be thankful for what I have and I'm going to make the most of it. You see, when it comes to the ice cream time, my kids do not control the quantity. Unless, of course, Andrew and I are on a date and they're just running amok. <laughs> they don't control the quantity. They do control the quality of what they do with it. Here in our text, Jesus is illustrating his authority and our responsibility to his authority by telling the story of a master who goes on a long journey. In our text, we read that this master had three servants and he distributed those goods among his servants. And please take note of this. This is really important. He gave different amounts or percentages of his good to different servants. And it was based on their ability. And you say, well, how would he know what their ability was? Well, because he was the master and he was the one who had determined that they should have these amounts. And what we see in this text is that one receives five, one receives two, and one receives one. Another servant receives one. It's interesting to me that the master of this household, 
he never explains why he gave one five. He never explains why he gave one two. And he never explains why he gave the last servant one. It simply states that as the authority figure, he had the power, he had the right to say, you are going to have five, you are going to have two, and you are going to have one. When, in my, when I'm in my house, I don't, I'm not obligated, contrary to cultural trends, I'm not obligated to explain to my nine-year-old why I'm doing certain things with my 16-year-old. I don't justify to my children why my seven-year-old has to go to bed at a certain time and my 18-year-old doesn't have the same going to bed restrictions. I'm not obligated to explain that to them. You know why? Because I'm the one that's in authority. Andrea is the one that's in authority. Just a free tidbit of parenting advice. Stop justifying your decisions to your kids and just be their dad and mom and tell them to get on board with it. Help them. Thank you, pastor. That was good. That's not even my notes. It was just free. The servant here doesn't explain why the discrepancy just says, I'm giving you five, I'm giving you two, I'm giving you one. But even though he doesn't explain why he gave to one five and one two and one one, we do understand some other things about him. Number one, he held his servants accountable upon his return. It, it says this in uh, verse, verse number 26, the wicked servant says this. In verse 27 or excuse me, verse 26, the Lord answering to his servant said, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers and then at my coming, I should have received mine own with usury. He's saying that I expected, I demand a return. So the, the master goes on this journey. He's gone for however long he's gone and he comes back and he holds each servant accountable for what he has given to them. It's understood that giving you these five, they're your responsibility, but you're not the owner of them. You're using them on my behalf. It's understood the one I gave two to. It, you, you've received these two talents, but they are yours to do something with, but you don't own them, and I'm gonna expect you to do something productive with them. And to the servant that received one, this talent doesn't belong to you, it belongs to me, and I'm going to expect you to take care of it and to use it and to be productive with it, and then when I return, I am going to hold you accountable for what you've done with what I have given you. Well, we see in the, the story how the servants handled themselves. The one that had five recognized, these are a gift from my master, it's my responsibility to care for them and be productive with them, and so I'm going to take the five and put them to use. The one with two, he does the same. But the one, the, the servant that had the one talent, his attitude is different. He makes an excuse in verse number 24, it says, you're a hard master and you expect these things. But the truth was that he was actually lazy and perhaps he was even jealous over what the other servants had been given that he had not been given. And so he was judged. Please note this. The master judged him severely. Not because, not because he only had one talent. The master judged him severely because of what he did not do with that one talent. The Lord of, the, of these servants did not say, 
well, you that had the big bowl, I'm going to bless you a lot, but you that just had that one piddly little bowl, you don't get any kind of blessing because you only had one bowl. How unjust would it be for a master to determine how, many, how much you receive and then to judge you for a decision that he made? That's part of the reason we, eject, we reject the idea of Calvinism. Man, do I need to park there for a minute? God's not going to say, no, you get heaven and you reject me and then I'm going to judge you for a decision that I made you make. That's not consistent with who God is. So, he doesn't judge this unprofitable servant because his bowl was smaller than the other servants. He judged him because he did not put the talent he had been given to good use. Please get this. The value of the servants was not determined by their quantity. All three of the servants were value, had, were valuable, had value to the master. Here's the truth. Some people have more. Some people have less. But there is not a greater value placed on the life of a person with five talents, more so than a person that possesses one talent. Now understand what our culture has done. And if, and if an individual has incredible athletic ability or incredible entertainment value, if someone can play a game at a high level or someone can sing a song at a high level or someone has certain physical attributes that separate them from everybody else, I understand that our culture elevates them and begins to worship them. And if some poor guy living under a bridge dies, nobody hardly bats an eye. But if we lose some kind of superstar, then the entire nation is going to go into a state of mourning. That's what our culture does. But that's not who God is. God values the superstar who dies as much as he values the man underneath the bridge that dies. His value, God's value system is not determined by, by what he allows us to possess. God determines the quantity. I'll, I'll say more about this in a minute, or a few minutes, but God determines the quantity of your life in part. You are born into a certain family. You are born into a certain financial setting. You are born into certain structures. You are born with certain talents and abilities and those are gifts of God. And some of you ought to ask yourself this question sometime. And just think about it for a minute. God loves people no matter where they are. I'm going to get to the question. God loves people no matter where they are. Have you ever thought, why were you born here instead of Afghanistan? Because those people are just as valuable to God as the people living in this nation. Why, why were you allowed to live here? Why were you allowed to be born here? Why were you allowed to be born after your family came here? Why were you allowed to take up residence in this country? 
God doesn't give explanation about all of those things. And here's the truth. God doesn't owe an explanation. Why can, why can someone play the piano really well and then another person who really wants to play the piano can practice and practice and practice but can't really make the same level of progress? Isn't it amazing how within our home, and this is true no matter the education system, some kids have, have a tendency or a bent to really being strong with certain subjects and other kids have great attitudes and they try hard but they're obviously not gifted the way that other kids are are you with me on that it's a true statement man I've been a part of this my entire life in the area of sports there there are people who are blessed with a God-given ability they have an athleticism that cannot be practiced into existence they just have it and then others they practice just as hard and sometimes even more but they never reach the same level of athletic achievement as others who just have these natural gifts I've heard commentators say, we're going to find out who wants it more. Look, when someone who's 5'8 is going against someone who's 6'10, it doesn't matter who wants it more. I can lay on that court and cry and throw a fit and kick that dude in the shins. It don't matter when he's dunking on my head. Who wants it more? Hold on to his leg while he's carrying me down the court. I want it more. God gives gifts. He gives some to more and less to others. God gives opportunities. He gives more to some and less to others. God gives quantity, and he's the one who determines it. He determines things sometimes like health. Two believers trying to live basically the same life for the Lord and one gets a terrible disease and one lives a long life. God determines that. Now, I understand we can do things to hurt ourselves, but there are cases where people are sick through no fault of their own. Suffering. People go through losses that they were not responsible for. Some have less. Some have more. Finances, health, life, talent, all of those things. Here's the point of this part. The servants had no control over how much they were given. The only thing they had control over it was what am I going to do with what God has given me. This bowl may not be as big as somebody else's bowl. But I have a bowl, and I'm going to do something with it. Here's the statement. God controls the quantity. You are responsible for the quality. God controls the quantity. You control the quality. I want to talk for a minute about the quantity of America. I love that flag. I love that one too. <laughs> Thomas Jefferson wrote this in the Declaration in 1776. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and are endued by their creator with certain unalienable rights. All men 
all people have equal value before God and equal value to God. Stay with me. Please stay with me. But all men are not equal in ability, opportunity, or resources. I'm going to make a statement here. If it bothers you, I'm sorry. It's true. All men have not had equally in this country. Now, I understand our minds can go to one specific thing or situation. You study the history of this nation, and you will find that there are examples of people not having equally across the board throughout this nation, some more than others for different reasons, but it is a true statement. And we need to be thankful for this nation, but we need to be honest about this point. Y'all stop being nervous. All men have not had equally in this nation. You have some with five, some with two, and some with one. Whether it be talent and ability, whether it be health, whether it be physical stature, whether it be opportunity, resource, whether it be actual physical freedom, physical freedom to have a job, physical freedom to use a water fountain, physical freedom to go to a school, or treatment. But please get this. The quantity of what we've been given does not determine the quality that we apply to it. Please get that. I'm not making the statement that America has provided equal opportunity or equal resource for everyone. If you understand anything about the history of our nation from the very beginning until now, in many different areas, it's not been equal across the board. Here's what we can say. Everyone's had opportunity through the work of God. You can't control, please get this, you can't control what you don't have. You can't control what others do to you. But you can control what you do with the opportunity that has been given to you. One of the, one of the men that my children learn about in their education is a man by the name of Booker T. Washington. He was born into slavery in 1856. Like so many children that had no control over this and so many women enslaved had no control over this, Booker's biological father was a white man that was never known to him. Men who had power and abused that power. At the age of nine, he was freed along with his mother and siblings at the conclusion of the Civil War. And his mother moved their family to West Virginia where she married a free black man named Washington Ferguson. Now, what I'm about to read to you <laughs> happened after he had an actual dad and a mom and a home. This is amazing. Are you ready? And this started when he was a kid. Booker had two jobs. The first one started at 4 a.m. and went to 9 a.m., where he worked in a salt works, and he had to do that every day before he was allowed to go to school. Hey, parents, work's good for your kids. That's good for your kids. His second job was working in a coal mine, and it was there that he overheard people talking about the Hampton Institute in Richmond, Virginia, that... And so in 1872, when he was around the age of 16, 
he walked some 500 miles to where to Hampton where he enrolled and became eventually became an excellent student. He would go on to become one of the most influential thinkers and leaders in 19th century America, making huge advances, not only for his people, but for the nation as well in education, botany, and farming. He was the first black man to ever be invited to the White House, where he served as an advisor to both President Theodore Roosevelt and President Howard Taft. He worked at the Tuskegee Institute for 25 years until his death, and when he died, he had led Tuskegee to an enrollment of over 1,500 with a faculty of 200 and an endowment of nearly $2 million to carry on the work. Booker T. Washington said this at some point in his life. Please listen. Mm, Please listen. Booker T. Washington said this. We should not permit our grievances to overshadow our opportunities. No one would say, no one would dare make the case that he did not have grievances. Far more grievances than the reckless mobs that are destroying America made up of all races and classes. Now I'll say it again if I need to. Far more grievances than the reckless mobs made up of all races and classes that are trying to lay waste to this nation. He had grievances. Born out of a wicked relationship to a woman who had no responsibility in that, forced on her by a godless man with no concern for the welfare of the people around him. And it wasn't his fault, it wasn't his dear mother's fault, but she loved that child. And she couldn't control the bowl that was given to her, but she understood she had a life. And then as more opportunity came, she made decisions both for herself romantically and for her children. And when that man who would be his actual father came into his life, Booker would understand, I can't control what I've been given. Listen, he was given a very small bowl in comparison to what other people born at the same time were given. Are y'all with me? Come on, please stay on board with this. He had grievances, but he understood this. My grievances should not overshadow my opportunity. In spite of the grievance, he saw this. I can't help what other people think about me. I can only help what I have and what I control. So you know what he said? I'm not going to whine about the limited education I'm going to find where it's at, and I'm going to go walk 500 miles until I get there. Now, I'm going to walk 500 miles as a 16-year-old to get to where I can have an opportunity to educate myself. And then I'm going to take that education, and I'm not going to use it to get even with everyone that I have a problem with. I'm going to use it to elevate people. And I know I know other little boys and little girls that were born into the same kind of difficulty I was in. And yet I see within this imperfect land, I see an opportunity to make something more of ourselves 
ourselves and to raise up our community and to become a part, a critical part of this nation. How many of you have been invited to advise the president? And yet this man, born a slave, became an advisor to kings. You got to get this. God allowed it. God allowing it is not the same as God endorsing it. Y'all need to be okay. God has allowed evil men to do evil things since Adam disobeyed him in the garden. God allowing it does not, is not the same as God endorsing it. God gave him this, and he took it, and by the grace of God, he turned it into this. Hmm. Quantity does not determine quality. In America today, there are people with unmatched quantity in their life, and they are producing far less quality with it. There are so many people that are living such reckless lives today, and, and they can't see this, that they have been born with this and not this. I'm not saying they don't have battles I'm just saying the battles they face are nothing compared to the battles their fathers and forefathers faced. Man, we got it good in this country. I didn't say everything's fair. I didn't say everything's always right. I didn't say everything's just. I'm just saying in this country, if you are living in this nation, man, I just broke Andrea's mixing bowl. Girls, look at me. If you are living in this nation, young men, look at me. If you are living in this nation, I'm not saying it's a perfect nation. I am saying you have been given by the divine intervention of God an opportunity to live in a nation with much opportunity. You've been given a big bowl where education is plentiful and jobs are available. And you say, well, it's not the job that I want. Man, go to some places where they have no jobs. Go to places like India where people are starving to de death. Go to places like China where people are being oppressed and thrown into prison. Go to places in the Middle East and in Africa where there is strife and civil war constantly taking the lives of young men and young women in their youth. You have opportunity that's unmatched. You have quantity. And yet so many Americans, you know, what you, you know what we do with it? Blush it down the toilet. Not just focusing on grievances, but making up grievances that never existed in your life. I'm not saying they never existed. I'm saying they never existed like you say they did in your life. Instead of saying, you know what, I'm going to take what I have. I'm going to make something with it. But there's a greater tragedy. I'm almost done. Please stay with me. There's a greater tragedy than that, and that is this, that with Christianity in America, we enjoy, we enjoy unmatched quantity and produce far less quality. Can I just come stand down here with y'all? Look, when I... When I think about what I have in that, what I have in this country, I'm, I'm just, I'm amazed. But Brother Max, when I look at that cross, Brother Max, when I look at that cross and I know how sinful I am, I know how bad of an attitude I can have. I know how weak my flesh can be. 
I see my flaws, and I know God sees them more. And yet, brother, God came down, and he died on that cross for me. He died for me. I'm amazed by it. And I get to have that and live here. And it blows my mind that he would be that good to me. And yet the Christian Christianity in America has gotten lazy, entitled. We can be offended at the drop of a hat with each other. We have so much opportunity with the word of God. Do you understand there are people in this world who believe in Jesus Christ who have never actually held a copy of the Bible? We got Bibles laying all over our houses. Bibles like toys. Bibles like silverware. We got Bibles everywhere. And there are, Christian, there are children of God who have called on the name of Jesus Christ with sincere faith. And they have believed in him. And they have never held a Bible. We got Bibles all over the place. And it's like pulling teeth to get us to read it consistently. You understand that there are Christians who for them to even publicly mention the name of Jesus endangers them with some kind of fine or imprisonment or persecution. And we can come to church whenever we want. And sometimes it's like pulling teeth to get people to come to church with any level of consistency. There are people that if they're going to tell someone about Jesus, there are laws being passed, whether it's in India or other nations. You can get China, you can find this. There are anti-conversion laws, which means this. You can't tell anybody about your faith unless it's sanctioned by the government. And people go to jail and are, jail and are persecuted. And we can pass out tracts. We can talk about Jesus whenever we want. It doesn't mean people have to listen, but we can talk about it. And yet, it's, it's again, it's like pulling teeth to get someone to eat even mention the name of Jesus Christ to somebody. We have been given great quantity, and yet in comparison in this country, our quality is lacking. Let me make these points. Number one, God determines the quantity of your life. Your life has value not because of the quantity of your talents, but because you are you have talent and opportunity of varying degrees, and God has decided who has what. God does not reward based on who has the most, but on what you do with what you have been given. You, you, you determine the, quali the, the quality of of what you do with what you've been given. It doesn't mean you don't have grievances. It doesn't mean there aren't bad things that have happened. It doesn't mean there aren't challenges. It doesn't mean there aren't limitations. It does mean you have a choice to take your talent, your bowl, whether it's this size or this size, you have a choice to take it and to produce something with it. I'm not negating the fact that there are adversities and unexplainable trials and unfair circumstances, but the existence of difficulty in your life does not remove God's expectation of productivity that honors Him. Those who are faithful will be rewarded, and those who are not will be judged. 
Here's the two reasons we don't produce more with the quantity that we have been given. Number one, we're just lazy and entitled. Number two, number two, we spend too much time comparing. Look, we can all be guilty of this. Well, how come they get to have that and I don't? And this is what we do. We think we're less valuable or more valuable or we think they're less valuable or they're more valuable. Stop comparing yourself to everybody else and start making something of the life that God has given you. God controls the quantity. You control the quality. I want you to imagine, are you with me at my house? Addie, come here. Ashlyn, come here. Stand right here, sweetheart. Step up on right there. Scoot over. Stand right here. How old are you, Addison? Eleven. Eleven, like 17. (laughs) Say, Addie, you're beautiful. No, no, you don't have to say it. I'm just telling you. I say to Addie, Addie, here's your bowl. Ashlyn, here's your bowl. Do you like that? No, no. But she has a choice. I'm going to do something with the bowl I've been given, or I'm going to spend my life upset about the bowl I don't have. If you would get busy with what God has given you, we see this in the text. I'm done. We see this in the text. If you'll get busy with what God's given you, one day it might turn into this. It did for the one with five and the one with two. It did for Booker T. Washington. How about, we, how about we get busy making quality with the quantity that God has given us? Girls, you can go back. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. And brothers and sisters, I love America. I'm thankful for it. But I'm afraid. I'm afraid for myself. I'm afraid for my children. I'm afraid for my church family. I'm afraid for this state and this nation that we are squandering such great opportunity. My heart is so heavy with how much quantity we have been given and yet with how little quality we produce with it in helping others and ministering and making something useful of our lives. But more than my heart is heavy for our nation, my heart is heavy for the people of God, especially who celebrate Independence Day, who know what it is to say the Pledge of Allegiance, to sing the national anthem, to look at that star-spangled banner yet waving, to know what it is to live in this land, and on top of that, to be a child of God, and yet to spend so much of our time not making something useful of our life. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to ask you a few questions as Miss Nicole begins to softly play. The first question is this. How many of you would would honestly say, I am struggling with the quantity that has been or not been given to me There are things that have happened in my family that I didn't control. There are things that have come into my life that I didn't control. There there are decisions others have made. And and I am struggling with that. I am struggling with the quantity that I've been given. 
and I need God to help my attitude, would you raise your hand? Say, that's me. Yep, keep them up. Bless you for your honesty. You can put them down. I want to ask you this question. How many of you would say to one degree or another, I have been given quantity, but I, I know in my life, I know in my walk with God, I know that in my marriage, I know that with my children, I know that in some area of my life, I am not being nearly as productive as I ought to be. I've been given great quantity and I spend so much time looking at what others have that I don't. I spend so much time wondering why this is this way for them and not for me that I'm missing the opportunity to make something of my life right now, to make something of my service to God, to raise my children a certain way, to be involved in a church in a certain way, to pour my life into something meaningful. I have quantity, but I am squandering it in certain ways, and I need God's help. Would you pray for me? I wonder if there'd be some that would say, I have quantity, but I'm not producing the quality that I need to. Oh, I see. God bless you for your honesty. One more question. I'll not ask you to raise your hand on this. I just, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, it does not matter whether you're an American citizen or a citizen of any other nation. The only people who spend eternity with God are those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. It's not a nationality. It's not a religion. It is a relationship with God through faith in Jesus. And if you're not saved this morning, God wants to save you. If you'll come to him. Let's all stand together as Brother Nate begins to sing. If God has spoken to your heart, you respond while we sing. Have thine own will, Lord. Have thine own way. No, you come. If God dealt with you, you come. If he spoke to you, give him the courtesy of a response. You just talk to the Lord.
right, you can direct your attention this way. Brother Nate will come and lead us. Let's sing the first verse of Amazing Grace for our dismissal. Whether you have been here many times or this is your first time, we're going to get a group pick. I know it's hot, so if you're going to participate, get out there quick and smile big and enjoy being sweaty together. Amen. All right, let's sing Amazing Grace in your dismissal. That's hymn number 202 if you need it. to the bus. <laughs> <laughs> 